0: Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, uh, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of obedience, disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. Christ will shine on you. This is God's word.
1: Father, we pray this morning that you would allow your word to go forth, that we would understand you, that we would be drawn closer to you. We pray, Father, that you would allow um, just a a move of your spirit where the children can be free to be present in worship, but the parents can still be able to uh, understand, hear, and be equipped. We pray that that would funnel down to the children as well, Uh, and even the little babies. Let them worship today as well. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Family, you can have a seat. There's some stuff that's uh, really joyful for me to see, some things that just like I sometimes will catch out the side of my eye. And it'll, it'll bring me an extra sense of just, man, that was sweet. One of those things is when I, I I've caught it a number of times with many of you in here, but more recently has happened when JD is walking from church or walking down the street and he has little Martin and little Martin just has his hand holding daddy's hand. Such a sweet, beautiful image of the son holding close to the father and this little little person, this little mini-me kind of imitating what dad does. There's some uh, unique things that you do, some unique things that I do that we do daily and we don't even think about them until we begin to see it imitated. Some things you might do every day, it's just a shower for you, you, you wake up. You pray, you get up, you go take a shower, you start to shave and it's just normal for you. You start to do your hair, it's just normal for you. It's normal until you see a pic like this. And then you see, wait, something that's a trait that I do daily, something that I do consistently, something I do often now has a little bit more Value a little bit more heart connection when I see my little one imitating it. It might be something that you're passionate about, something that you do often, maybe an expression of something that you love, like your work or even a side passion, like dance or something like that. And before you know it, your little one wants to imitate that same beautiful passion. It might even be something as simple as the Silly expressions you have on your face. (laughs) Before you know it, your your little one is like, I could do that too, Papa. (laughs) Family, today we are diving into Ephesians chapter 5, continuing in our series that talks about what it's like to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And today the whole talk will be about what it looks like to imitate God. His character, his ways, his mannerisms, his ways where we are people that look like God and want to be like God and want to imitate God. So look with me in Ephesians chapter five. We're looking at the first two. We're looking at uh, the first 14 verses, but we're going to go starting with one and two. Therefore, starting with verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The therefore connects us to what was previously said in chapter four. And last week we talked about we wanted to be a God pleaser, not a Holy Spirit griever. We wanted to be a people who would be. Uh, seeking to allow our words to encourage and not let anger control or have its way with us. And so Paul is reaching back to that saying, yeah, we're going to do that. But also there are some other aspects of walking out this gospel-centered nature that I want you to have. So he starts off first by saying, I want you to be an imitator of God. To imitate means to do as you have seen done says, I want you to do that, beloved children. Beloved children. This this term beloved is something used in the New Testament, and it means the people of God. Each time you see beloved, he's talking about the people of God set apart, set aside, has that God-centered trait there's been something done to them and grace has been what has overwhelmed them, overflooded them, and now they are set apart for God's purposes. So beloved, I want you to imitate God, not because you've earned being beloved, not because you deserve being beloved, but because you have been gracefully motivated. You are now, we are now the beloved. First John chapter three, verse one says, see what kind of love the father has given to us. That we should be called what, children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So we are called to imitate, and in imitating, we have the ability to do that because we are the beloved people set aside for God. I, uh, I was not a teacher. I was blessed to be an educator. I I make that distinction because teachers did way more work than I did. And that's one title that I don't play with because teachers, they go through a lot. So I was an educator. I was what you called paraprofessional help. (laughs) Call me in when you need some backup, you know what I'm saying? But I didn't have to stay there the whole time with rotating classes and so In our school system, teachers talk, and teachers would connect. And there was something very interesting that I would find. Teachers could tell who had families at home that loved children. There was no equation, okay, mom plus dad equals great child, like nothing like that. But you can tell if there was an auntie, a grandmama, a cousin, a somebody that was loving on this child or if this child actually was left to fend for themselves and rejected love. Amen. Family, we have this experience, that reality in our schools, but we have that experience and that reality in our adulthood too. Some of us hear the term beloved and, and it just it just doesn't feel right on the skin that you would say that, I have been set apart to be loved by God. You can hear it mentally, but it's it's kind of like kind of like like burlap. You know burlap is it's like that stuff they used to put potatoes in, a potato sack. Might might use it at the harvest party and get to hopping around in the in the burlap. Burlap it doesn't hurt. But if you put it on, it just it just doesn't feel right on the skin. It irritates you a bit. You just want to get it off you. Some of us, because of our lack of experience in a loving environment, just even know God is good, know what he should be. But when we clothe ourselves in them, that word love just doesn't feel right on us. And so we've. Struggled with and we have a community that's struggling with being able to even understand where do I start with imitating God that is all loving when I struggle with even being able to receive love. And so. Paul is writing these words to renew the mind of the people to say, regardless of the experience you're going through, let me tell you who you are. You are loved not based on what you've been through. You are loved not based on what you've accomplished. You are loved not based on your previous experience. You're loved because of what Christ has done on the cross for you. You are loved because he saw the nastiest parts of who you are and said, my son, come. My daughter, come. You are mine. And I don't care what your past has been. Now you are set apart for a beautiful new purpose, beloved. And so this love he calls us to imitate. He gave up himself for us in verse 2. And he wants us to walk in the same way of displaying the same love to others. As we've received love and experienced love, we are then called to love others. And that gives this sweet aroma, this sweet fragrance. You ain't got to go buy cologne. You don't need a new perfume. You want to walk around smelling like mm, 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 the, the fragrance of the Lord. It's better than, it's better than, oh, see, I'm out of the game. See, I got married, so I stopped putting on cologne, y'all. I was about to name some stuff, but my stuff too old. <laughs> what, what, what's, what's the new cologne? Come on, man, help me out, D. You be fresh in the mug with Joel at. Yesterday, Joel was smelling so good. I walked past Joel at the gala, like, boy, what you, you gave, gave Joel a hug. You know, but you know when that fragrance hits you. And God is saying each of us have the ability to walk and bring forth this aroma that is pleasing unto him not by our hard work and our effort but by simply receiving his love and giving it unto others. Continue with me in in and, and, and now I can't continue yet. Because while I say that and I and I give some some I, I give the beauty of who God has made us. I also need to pause and make sure we understand as a family the journey that God has equipped us to be able to live out and the journey that he has empowered us to be able to live out. But the difficulty of that, because some people have not had God centered models by which they learn what it means to imitate. Actually, some of us have had the exact opposite as it relates to models. Our models have been unhealthy. Our models have been destructive. Our models have been totally against God's word. I was talking with a brother this past week. And we were talking about uh, just back in the day how he used to sell drugs. And his, his entire world and environment was that of drug sales. And to simply meet him in middle school and say to him, hey, man, you shouldn't sell is like saying you shouldn't breathe air. I mean, if, if mama, grandmama, daddy, if everybody who are the mentors and role models in your life do this and they're not doing it to try to get a Bentley, they're not doing it to try to get a Mercedes, they're doing it to feed you. They're doing it to keep DTE from coming out and shutting that thing off again. They're doing it to make sure the water And you come along and say, hey, this is wrong. He says, why? What I've seen imitated and what I've seen actually be the fruit of that allows us to be stable. So so Why? And I, and I bring up examples like that. I bring up examples of, of, of those who have modeled for us that there's certain ways in which we use our bodies and we can use our body in a way that can subtly, with a little bit of charm, manipulate a man or a woman. Those that have, that have used language in ways that can be really destructive. And that's the only way we know how to enter into conflict. We've seen it imitated and again and again has been modeled for us. And I'm bringing up these examples because, family, we need to recognize what God has called us to, what he's freed us of, but also be willing to be patient. Be patient with people as God is working out of us the old, sinful, unhealthy norms that we have modeled for us that we didn't even realize we were doing Until God grabbed our heart and now we're trying to do something different and we're trying to do something different. But every now and then we slide back and then we try to do right again. Let us be spurring each other on to good works, but let us be patient. Amen. 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 And so Paul is speaking to the people in Ephesus and the situation that's going on that he's speaking into is one of a, a cultural dynamic. There is a goddess called Dionysus. She is the goddess of fertility. She's actually the goddess of of wine, and whenever they go to worship her, they have parties. These parties are off the chain. These parties are part of the culture of the city. Every city has a culture. Detroit has a very different culture than Vegas. You go to Vegas to indulge in the Vegas culture, but then you come back home to a Detroit norm. Ephesus at this time when they worshipped Dionysus it was the Vegas culture it was get drunk it was do the thing it was it was do the thing with multiple people it was, it was wild and I'm keeping it trying to keep it straight PG because we got the little one's ears but y'all know th- th- this is what Paul is writing into And the crazy thing is, at this time, some of the Christians, some of the Jewish folks are actually enslaved. And so being enslaved, they would actually send the Christians to worship this false God. So the people of that day are mixing up. What is this Christianity stuff? With this pagan worship, Dionysus stuff, it all looks the same. I mean, they say they're faithful The people that are a part of this cult are faithful. They are acting out and indulging in some of the same physical acts. There is a term that they would say from this cult, which was Yahweh say of both, which was similar to us saying Yahweh of the Sabbath. So Paul is writing these things and he's saying, look, right now we are blending in with a fake God. And I am saying that you guys are set apart for Christ-centered purposes. So while the world may be imitating that God, I got somebody else I need you to imitate. While the world might be imitating this wine debauchery and just doing whatever your flesh desires, I got a different way I need you to behave. And so that's why verses 3 through 14 begin to get a lot more clear. First, we start with the heart, that imitating Christ always comes from a place of love. You've been set apart by love, and he wants you to use that love to bring God great glory. But then the next verses are like, but y'all are on the ground fighters. Y'all are in the midst of it. So I've got some things I need you to do to show and accompany your love here we go starting in verse three but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as in, as is proper among the saints as is proper among the saints it, it, it's interesting that he tries to say the same thing three ways sexual immorality okay you ain't getting that impurity Okay, let me see. Anything that you might want that ain't yours, that somebody else got, don't be coveting. And why? Why does he do that? He does that because we are prone as individuals to begin to make excuses for the things we really want. And there's nothing that can drive a person like the innate uh, intimacy desires. And so we can begin to say things like, well, as long as nobody gets hurt, it's okay. Well, as long as everybody's agreeing, it's okay. Well, as long, and Paul is like, no, there's a God centered standard. Anything you might think might be the exception outside of God's beautiful created model, anything you might be the exception, you're wrong. Try, try to try to try to come up with a well, maybe this and maybe that. And no, there's no justifying sexual behavior outside of the marriage covenant. But we see it taking place in a variety of ways. And, and I get on our brothers a lot because uh, there's an industry that is attacking and attacking and attacking much of our our our, our, our brother's um, witness as it relates to Intimacy. Uh, but there's another area that seems to be booming and it's and it's increasing this area of uh, steamy romance novels it It is an industry that continues to take off one point eight billion and this was in 2013 uh, um, The Economist magazine writes about it. It says and uh, then in 2013. It was twice as likely to be read on a smartphone than any other novel or nonfiction read. Uh, 13% of adult fiction was consumed that year was just on the steamy novel. And so we 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 recognize that Paul is writing to a people who are struggling with being able to be moral as it relates to intimacy. But that struggle ain't over. That, that struggle is one that we have to fight through today. That's one where we have to continue to be zealous for Christ and force ourselves to choose him over indulgences that are readily available. But then he shifted it a little bit and says, OK, so I'm trying to get you right in that in that vein. But I also want to get you right on the water cooler talk, too. Let's go to verse four. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be Thanksgiving. Y'all, um, you, you might be two blocks away. But if it's something funny, you're going to hear me because I am loud when it's time to laugh. I love laughing. If I have a choice of any music, um, any, any genre of movie, it would be uh, comedy. But because I want to please my wife, we'll go to rom-com. Okay. Um, rom-com is romantic comedy. Sorry, sister. Um, but, I, but I had to, at some point, begin to stop listening to certain comedians because because comedians do a great job of of like painting a picture where the illustration is one where you feel like I know someone like that. Oh, I know a guy like that. But if you actually pause and you stop and you do the Christ centered thing and put a person's name with it. The joke, the joke just ain't that funny. I mean, if this great comedian is saying something and he actually says, let me tell you about this guy named Leon. Leon, this fool. And, and they go into their rant and it's Leon and it's Leon. When, it, when you actually pause and begin to place a name, a face, when it's not just a generic entity, when it's actually a person, you begin to realize this joke is that someone else is lost. Somebody else has to be the butt, the fool, the heartbreak in order for us to all get our laughs. And and it's affected even the way I hear comedy now. Paul is saying, wait, I don't want you to be indulging in that. Yep, you love movies, you love kicking and you love entertainment. And you might have to sacrifice some of that because it is not holy and pleasing conversation, which edifies me. If you ask him the question, how bad it is, you already started on the wrong foot. It's not really that bad, Pastor. We are, no, the question is, how does it glorify God? How does it glorify God? It's a shameless plug. We put sin, we went to see sin bad. That brother finds a way to do it. He good. All right, keep it moving. Verse five, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, uh, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There are some ways that Christians are to live and some ways that the world lives and family, it is different. It is different. There are some things that the Christian is focused on, and something that the world is focused on, and it is different. It is different. I was um, I was thinking about how, how we play hoop, and we got this great gym, and the average gym is about 4,500 to 4,200 square feet. That's the average basketball gym. But the hoop, the rim by which you're trying to get the ball in is only 18 inches. Not even... Two feet. And so we as Christians might be in a gym and we might be fumbling around, struggling, doing a bunch of different things. But at some point, our goal is to get the ball in the hoop. It's the one way by which you win a basketball game. The world is not on the same page. The world does not take all this space and then zero in on one small target being Christ. We don't measure our Christianity by how well we shot and how good of a dribbler you are and all these things. We measure, are we focused on that one target? You see, family, there are people that are not focused on that target. And are, it breaks our hearts, but they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we will inherit the kingdom of God, not because we're the best shooters, not because we have the best practice, not because we know, but because we are focused on the target of Christ. This guy named Peter Lang says he wrote a a, a commentary on the book of Ephesians. He says that there's a difference, a difference between the kingdom of God and the church. Both good, but a difference. The kingdom of Christ and of God is not not precisely the church. The kingdom of Christ is the authority of God. The church is the people of God. The church refers to the power that has been given by God. The church may do some things in an orderly fashion because of God's power. The church may manage some things because of God's authority and government. The church receives grace which attracts and trains and guides people but the kingdom has to do with powers which are applied with laws and established and administered both have one end god's glory both desire to see salvation take place but the kingdom of god is wider than the church why do I list that i list that because there is people set aside for god's body the church But but that even that church is different than our church building, because what I would hate to have happen under my preaching is that you would be coming to this place every week. And not be loving God and experience the kingdom because you keep living the same way that Jesus is trying to get you not to live. He's saying, imitate me. And you like, well, I'm going to go imitate who I want to because I'm going to put on a nice suit when I come to church. But when I leave here, I'm imitating who I want to imitate, pastor. Go ahead. You won't get the kingdom. You might get approval in church. You might get elevated even in some committees. We might celebrate you at an event. But the kingdom is inherited by those who are saying, Lord, I'm focusing on you as my target and I want to imitate you. I want to be like you. I want to do as you would say do. So I might mess up. I might fail. I might struggle. But Lord, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to deny this flesh that's speaking and wants to intimately connect with others in an improper way. I'm going to try to deny it. And Lord, I might fail, but I'm going to try again tomorrow. That's the people of God. But there are some hoodwinkers out there, some folks trying to hit you with the okey-doke. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was a little little slang. What that means is there's some people that's trying to lie to you, some people who come with what what the Bible calls empty words in verse 6. It's as if you were at a fancy banquet. You got your tux on and the server is preparing to bring you a nice meal. You know the nice meal that comes and they have the the, the the nice silver charger with the dome or what's the little dome called that they you know gonna hide the food till they bring it out to you, sit it right before you and on three they look to each other, nod the head, pull it off, and there's no food. It's empty. No sustenance can't do anything for you. It it might get you gassed up. It might get you excited. It might get you ready to grub. But when it comes to actually providing sustenance for life, nothing. And so Paul is warning, watch out. It's going to be some people that's pretty crafty with their words to try to hoodwink you and take you for the okie doke and slide in these things. But don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Let's continue reading. Oh, man, I got my slides all out of order. Verse 7. Yes, sir. So, uh, just talking about that's good. Yep. So there is, my brother said, hey, how do we apply that to Christians who have a chronic struggle? This is talking about the difference between an unbeliever and believer. Yep. And that's why my... my. Uh, attempt at using the basketball illustration was to show you as a believer your goal is to shoot you might have a horrible shooting percentage one for 200,000 <laughs> but you didn't pull 200,000 you shot them, you know whereas and, and what I mean by that is we as a people we are, we, we are called to imitate Christ and the believer tries the unbeliever may mimic and do things like a Christian, but they're not doing it to try to bring God glory. They're not doing it to imitate Jesus. They're doing it for other purposes. And basically, Paul is saying there's two camps. Everybody in here is imitating. We might think that we try to be like really cool and like we're, we're you know, our, our own people that create stuff. But I'll just be real. I'm trying to mash up like Even my clothing style is like J.D., Zeke, uh, Alex, and Alvin mash together. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just trying to get a bit. We are imitators. And Paul is saying, you imitating Jesus or you imitating Satan. Now, you can imitate Jesus and have struggles. 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 But you know that he's your God and he's your savior and that he loves you. And even if you struggle of what it looks like to be loved, you know, he wants to love you. But then there are those who don't even desire him at all. And we want to make sure that you understand the beauty of what Christ is offering you. Offering all of us. Which is a standard. Standard a standard of not only what he has made you into and his redeemed people, but also how to live. How to live. And we'll talk about that actually in our sermon next week. But sometimes we don't live up to what he's calling us to and the beauty is that there's grace. Grace that's not to be abused, but grace that is far outweighs what we can comprehend. Great question, brother. Verse seven. And therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is believed to have been a a hymn that uh, the early church was singing together. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's taken from... Uh, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2, that 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 break it out just a little bit more. It says, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord. But the Lord will ri- arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. This glory is manifested in human form in in Jesus Christ. He's come to save us from sin, come to show us how to love and transform and make us whole. But he gives us a model to imitate him. This Isaiah 60 verse is talking about the beauty of salvation. That there's people that are in darkness, wandering around, trying to figure out life themselves. And then God comes and shines his light upon us. I love this image. It's one, of, it's one of, a, of a reflector. And you've probably heard this used back in, in, in elementary, uh, what's it called, when you go to school in the morning before church. Sunday school, come on. them the early Sunday school class as a little kid. And, and, and the image is one of God being a, a spotlight. And each Christian just wears a small reflector. And God's light shines from them, shines from him, and it lights us up, allowing us to reflect the beautiful holiness that God is. In in, in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in what? Darkness, but will have the light of life. God has shined his light upon you. He has shined his light upon me. The salvation he offers us in Christ. But now he's asking us to bring this sweet aroma to him by letting his light reflect out into the world. But there's a little something that was that was mentioned in there. In verse 10, it says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I, I will say that this question of what, what is pleasing to the Lord is one that uh, the Christian wrestles with regularly. If you've ever tried to discern what was pleasing to the Lord, just raise your hand for me. Like, it, it's something that we wrestle with, it's something that we want answers to. And, and I see Paul saying here's a way that you can start leaning towards it. If you want to have discernment and understanding the Lord, go back through chapter four. Put that list for me, J.D. Start start to, start to do some of the things previously mentioned in the, in the chapter four and in chapter five. Eliminate, uh, so eliminate sexual immorality. So I start to say, Lord, crude and inappropriate talk, I'm not going to be doing. Do- dodging some of the empty words of people that might try to steal your attention away from Christ and you entertain it. Allowing you to be angry about what God is angry about, but things that do not bring him anger, you don't let steal your posture of grace and turn you into a person of sin. So, no anger which leads to sin. No stealing, but actually being a person of generosity, no malice, no rage. Like, like if you want to be a person that discerns what God said, is, do, you, do you think it would, if you operated in all these things, it'd be easy to hear from God? You know, if, I, if I'm just ready to just rip your neck off with my anger, but God, I want to know what job should I take? You know? And so God is trying to give us tools and I and I, I might not have put it on there, but um, it, it is tools because what we I say tool because I don't want you to hear equation. It doesn't mean if I do all these things, then God will speak clearly and I'm good and everything, every decision I make, he's gonna it doesn't mean if I work hard enough. But what he's saying is that there's a posture that I want you to have. There's an intimacy that I want with you. There's a way that I'm longing for you to imitate me. And as you do that, you're going to be able to hear a little bit clearer. You'll be able to discern a bit better. You'll be able to reflect me a bit more. The president of a a prison fellowship ministries, a national and international organization. His name was Albert H. Kuey. He told this story. He said, "Uh, that man I ate dinner with tonight took the life of my brother. Those were the words spoken by a stylish woman at a prison fellowship banquet in Seattle. And those words amazed me. She told how John H. had taken the life of her brother during a robbery, uh, served 18 years at Walla Walla, then settled into life on a dairy farm where she had met him in 1983, 20 years after his crime. Compelled by Christ's command to forgive, Ruth Youngsman had gone to her enemy and pronounced forgiveness. Then she had had taken him into her father's deathbed, prompting reconciliation. Some wouldn't call this a success story. John didn't dedicate his life to Christ, But at that prison fellowship banquet last fall, his voice cracked as he said, Christians are the only people I know that you can kill their son and they'll make you a part of their family. I don't know the man upstairs, but he sure is hounding me. John's story is unfinished. He hasn't yet accepted Christ, but just as Christ died for us, regardless of our actions or acceptance, so Ruth forgave him without qualification. Even more so, she became his friend. Family, the the way Christ is calling us to imitate him is going to look crazy to the world. You are going to be looked at as foolish and out of your mind. But that's what Christ's love looks like. It's counter to a, a Dionysus world. It's counter to a Vegas world. It's counter to a... Culture that wants to imitate Satan. And so I beg of you, I challenge you, I beseech you, beloved, imitate Christ. Imitate Him. You know of Him as He's been preached today. His love wants to overwhelm you and He wants to equip you to imitate Him in ways that are counter to the culture. If knowing him intimately is something that you already do, then we want to encourage and spur you on to continue to get closer. But if the things I'm talking about today sound so crazy to you, but yet God has done something in your heart where you say, I too want to imitate that God, we would love for you to accept Jesus into your heart today. He offers salvation. He offers an opportunity to be broken from your past, broken from the models that were unhealthy, broken from things that have been uh, tearing away the fabric of who you are, and he's offering new life today. If you desire that new life, please come up and see me after service. I'll be waiting up here to talk. We would love to walk with you as a church and as a family. Let us pray. Lord, the ability to forgive is not something that um, we can muster up. It is something that is generated by your spirit. But so is the ability to be disciplined with who we are intimate with, the ability to be disciplined with our tongues, the ability to be disciplined with what entertainment and talk that we listen to and engage with. God, all of that comes from you, and we are thankful for you. We're also asking that, Lord, you would uh, powerfully um, show people that don't live for you and are unbelievers that, that you are worth their focus, their time, and their energy. And for those of us that sometimes get weary taking shots that don't seem like they're getting anywhere near, Father, you would empower us and give us strength to keep shooting to keep trusting, to keep our aim and focus and target on you, Christ. Let us imitate you well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.